It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Over the last several studies, we've been walking through Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 down to verse 24, and looking at what you could say is Paul's great contrast. In other words, he's contrasting our former way of living with the new reality that we have in Christ Jesus. And what I wanted to do is I want to step back from the passage and kind of look at at it as a whole and kind of see from an overview perspective, what is Paul saying in terms of clothing, specifically the clothing of a Christian, but I want to give four aspects of what does this actually mean for our lives. So before we even do that, I want to read the passage afresh just so it's, it's in our minds. So here's Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Paul says, Therefore this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed, or since, you heard him and were taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. To lay aside, in reference to your former conduct, the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of the flesh, or, or sorry, the lust of deceit, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. I love that passage. Again, Paul is setting up a major contrast between how we used to live and how we are to now live as believers. Uh, while I was doing some studies, I was reading a bunch of commentaries, just kind of seeing where people are at in terms of some of these passages. And I came across two really great summaries of the passage as a whole. And I thought I'd give those to you because I think it just gives a quick statement or a declaration of what has been happening in our passage. So let me just read these two statements from two scholars. One said this, you have put off once for all with reference to your former manner of life, the old man, which is being corrupted according to the passionate desires of deceit. Moreover, that you are being constantly renewed with reference to the spirit of your mind, and that you have put on once for all the new man, which after God is, was which after God was created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Here's how another guy said it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, Paul says that the lies of his readers should reflect the dramatic transformation that has taken place in them at their conversion. They should no longer live in a way that speaks of the confusion, demonic control, and and despair that characterize those who are estranged from the life of God or or the life that God provides. They should instead live in ways that show their thinking is continually being renewed spiritually and that reveal their recreation in the image of a God who is righteous and holy. In other words, God is doing something overwhelmingly radical in the life of a believer. 
that their nature has been completely transformed. They are brand new creations in Christ Jesus. Well, again, to step back and look at an overview, I want to give you four aspects of the clothing of a Christian. If indeed we have put off the former way of living, the, that put off that sinful, selfish, cultural mindset and lifestyle, and we have indeed put on the Lord Jesus Christ, what does it mean for us to live in the clothing of a Christian? So four quick aspects. Number one is what I'm calling the consequence. Here's the idea. Thinking drives our actions, which then determine our outcome. And here's a little chart if this will help us. It's interesting that in both cases, the unbeliever and the Christian, Paul mentions something about their thinking. So an unbeliever, Paul says that their thinking is corrupt, it's futile, it's self-focused, and it's darkened, which lead to the actions of being impure and sinful. And what is the consequence of all that? Well, they are alienated from the life of God. But then Paul says, but you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that your thinking is renewed in the spirit of your mind, which then leads to the actions of being righteous and holy. And the consequence of all that is that you experience the life of God and have greater intimacy with him. So think about this. The thinking, however we think, is going to drive our actions and our actions determine the consequence or the outcome of our lives. And the unbeliever has a particular way of thinking. And Paul says it has grown dark. It's grown callous. It, it has been dampened by sin. That, that There's all this pollution and corruption in this passionate desire for more and more sin and lust. And that drives our actions to keep on sinning, which then drives the consequence of con a continual separation from the very life of God. But a believer, all of that has been set aside and we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which means our thinking is renewed. Our mind is in this constant, ongoing, renewal transformation process through God's sanctification in our lives, which means the fruit or the evidence of that new thinking is that we actually are walking in his righteousness and his holiness, which means as the consequence, oh, I get more of Jesus. I experience his eternal salvific life that I get a greater intimacy with him. That is incredible. So as we're looking at this idea of the clothing of a Christian, recognize that it is our thinking. In other words, it's that clothing that is going to change our thinking, which then changes our actions, which changes the consequence or the outcome of our lives. Number two is this idea of communion, that we get to share in the very life of Christ. So I will either be clothed with sin, as we've said, or I will be clothed with Christ. L listen to this incredible quote by uh, Peter Thomas O'Brien. He's a commentator. He said this, I thought this was really illuminating. He said, the picture of putting off and putting on a garment was widespread in the ancient world and was employed in the mystery religions with reference to the act of initiation. The donning of the garment consecrated the initiate so that he or she was filled with the powers of the cosmos and shared in the divine life. In Gnostic texts, putting on the garment indicated that the redemption had come, a redemption that would subsequently be perfected. 
But the background of the expression, putting off the old man and putting on the new man, was neither Gnostic nor of the mystery religions. In the Old Testament, think about this. In the Old Testament, the notion of being clothed with moral and religious qualities is found. For example, we're called to be clothed with strength, Isaiah 51 verse 9 and 52 verse 1. That we're to be clothed with righteousness, Psalm 132 verse 9, Job 29 verse 14. That we are clothed with majesty, or there's this idea of clothing of majesty, Psalm 93 verse 1. There's a clothing of honor, Psalm 104 verse 1 and Job 40 verse 10. And clothed with salvation, 2 Chronicles chapter 6 verse 41. In other words, it is interesting to me that in Paul's day, the context is the, the idea of putting off and putting on this use of the clothing language was common in a lot of religious uh, ceremonies or, 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 or rituals. And though Paul could be picking up some threads of that in terms of allowing his audience saying, hey, you guys have seen this, right? You're going to be initiated into something so that you take off an old garment, you put on a new garment. Hey, you've seen that. There's something even better happening in Christ. And Paul is not referencing the Gnostic stuff or the or this religious acts from the pagans. He says, in the Old Testament, we were called to put on certain things, these attributes. And yet Paul even goes one step further than even the Old Testament by saying, we're not just putting on attributes of God. We are actually clothing ourselves with him, with God himself. And the clothing upon which we wear is a person whose name is Jesus. And again, it's interesting that clothing language bespeaks of a communion or a sharing of the life of that which you are wearing. If Jesus is the clothing upon which I wear, if he is that which is is not only living in me through his spirit, but he is that robe of righteousness that Isaiah talks about, well, then I'm actually sharing life, having communion and intimacy with him. So there's this consequence idea that our thinking drives our actions, drives the consequence. But then there's this communion concept that if I truly am, as a Christian, clothed with Christ, that means I'm going to share in this intimate relational reality. I get to experience God himself in my life. And I grow in greater intimacy and oneness with him. There's also, number three, this idea of completion, which I thought was really intriguing. It's this idea of a finished work. There is this idea, and it's, and it's in the passage, and which we'll talk about in a minute, where that renewed idea is, is there's this consistent renewal, right? It's an ongoing process. And yet, the passage also bespeaks of this finished work idea. So let's look at these terms really quick. That word renewed, we talked about this in a previous study, but it's in the present tense, meaning there's this ongoing continual action where I am being renewed and transformed moment by moment, day by day by day. But when Paul uses the term to put off the old and put on the new, he uses the aorist tense. Now, don't get lost here if you're not a grammar nerd. The aorist tense, we often translate it in the past tense, but it's really the non-tense, meaning it doesn't really matter when it took place. The whole focus of the aorist tense is focus on the action itself. In other words, was this in the past? Is it in the present or in the future? That doesn't matter. The focus is not on the when. The focus is on the action itself. So when Paul says to put off, 
the old, to put on Jesus. Well, when did that take place? We're not talking about timing right now. Paul's emphasis is, look at the action. You have put off the old and you have put on Jesus. So again, it's, it's, not, a, it's not the focus on the win. And it also, the aorist tense denotes a complete or a whole action. In other words, it's, it's like the totality of this thing has taken place. Now, it's a little hard to talk about that in the Christian life. Because it, make, it would make sense to me that if I have put off sin, then it will never touch my life again. So why do I sometimes fall in the mud? Why do I have that attitude or, or that, that frustration or, or that, you know, I have to ask somebody for forgiveness or, well, I, I thought I put all that off. I know, but that's part of that renewal process. But think about this. There has been a definitive putting off sin in my life. I, I, I used to, right? Paul says that we all were sinners. We all fall, have fallen short of the glory of God, that we all were rebelling against God and his commands, that we were all shaking our fists in rebellion toward him. Well, what happened when Christ invaded my life? What happens when he became Lord of my life? What happened when I put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I no longer want that stuff. I, I no longer want that old lifestyle and that old mindset. So I, 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 don't, I don't crave sin. I don't say, God, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not going to do it. See, this is not like, God, I don't, I don't care what you think. I'm just going to live in my sin. See, that the heart posture has changed, folks. The, the nature of my life has changed. Now, God is still sanctifying my life. He's still pointing out, hey, Nathan, I need that. Oh, Nathan, that attitude. Oh, Nathan, he, that action. Come on, buddy. I, would you let me change that for you? And there is a continual sanctification process. But I love this idea that there is this finality where the heart posture of my soul is, I am no longer want to participate in the dumb, foolish philosophy of the world. I don't want to live in sin anymore. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want the, I want that as far from me as possible. I want to live in Jesus. And that as a Christian should be a definitive reality of our lives. That there is this finished finality or this completed work where I no longer am just trying to, can I sneak into sin, you know, when no one's looking? See, that should not be a part of our lives. We have been redeemed and restored and renewed. Yes, there's an ongoing sanctification process. Yes. So, so I mean, we're not talking about sinless perfection. We're, we're not talking about, well, I'll never have a sinful problem again. We're not talking about that because we need Jesus, folks. I, I cannot be holy on my own. I need Jesus. And yet, has there been a time in your life when you said, all right, we are drawing a line in the sand. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old has truly passed away. Behold, all things truly have become new in Christ Jesus. That should be the reality of the life of a Christian. So have you put off truly the old? Or are you trying to have a foot in both places? Because what Paul is saying is that the clothing of a Christian is not where you dabble over here in, in sin on occasion and, you know, and try to live over here on Sundays. And see, there is a distinct change of nature in the life of a Christian. I've been reading this passage all throughout this study, but I, I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. Again, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have been passed away. Behold, new things have come. Or listen to that passage in the Amplified. It says, therefore, if anyone is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation or a new creature altogether. 
The old, the previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Is that true in your life? Have you truly put away and put on? Because that is the reality of the clothing of a Christian. Let me give you a fourth idea here. And it's the idea of counterfeit. See, I've come to the conclusion you can't fake the clothing of a Christian. Okay, sure. You might be able to dupe people around you for a while. You, you know, if you grew up in church, you know when to stand up, you know when to sit down, you know when to smile, you know when the right things to say. You, you, you can go through the motions and you could probably fool a lot of people. But ultimately, you can't fake the clothing of a Christian. See, when you put off sin and you are now clothed in Christ, something so dynamic, so transformative takes place that this ultimately cannot be faked. See, I, I can't fake it till you make it in Jesus. This is not, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like Jesus and do what I can in Jesus. And then eventually, oh, look, I'm different. See, that doesn't happen. This is, a, this is a transformation of inside nature, character kind of stuff. And either you've been transformed or you're still over here. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I, I used to work at a Christian bookstore. And uh, for a whole season, it was probably almost a decade, one of the most, the best-selling things in the store were these bracelets. <laughs> They're so dumb. But we had these bracelets. And... Uh, it had four letters on them, WWJD, and uh, they, man, they sold like they, they just sold like crazy. And they they came from this book that was written in the eighteen hundreds by by Charles Sheldon, and and basically the whole premise was in in this book that uh, anytime I had a circumstance, no matter what was the activity of my life, before I made a decision or before I did something, I should just pause for half a second and just go, oh, what would Jesus do? And then I should just go do that. And I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I presume it came out of a good heart. I'm like, ah, I want to be more Christ-like. But folks, do you know what WWJD speaks of? It speaks of the filthy rag stuff that we talked about in the last study. See, I, I cannot mimic Jesus, folks. I, I cannot produce godliness and righteousness and holiness in and of myself. That is impossible. So do you know how... How crazy it is for me to, to, I'm in the middle of this big decision and I, I look at my wrist and I see this bracelet and it says WWJD and I just go, oh, what would Jesus do? All right, I think you'd probably do this. And oh, well, I'm going to go do that. That truly doesn't work. How, how are you going to mimic God? It, it just becomes a facade. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, it's interesting, parrots, the bird, the parrot, parrots can mimic humans. Isn't that interesting? Uh, they can. They have certain words, right, that they can speak. Uh, they can strut. I mean, they, they can mimic. Could, could you imagine, you look at this bird and you say, bird, I want you to be human. I, I want you to live in human likeness. I, I want you to walk in the reality of humanity. And the parrot goes, I got this figured out. I got a bracelet. WWHD. What would humans do? And every time I come to a decision, I go, oh, what would a human do? And I go do that. Well, we would look at that parrot and just go, you 
bird brain. You are so dumb. That, that Just because you are mimicking doesn't make you a human. Do you realize that mimicking godliness, mimicking holiness doesn't make you holy? It doesn't make you godly or righteous. In fact, all it shows is that the best attempts that you have at righteousness and holiness in and of yourself is but filthy rags. Well, then how on earth are we going to live a holy, righteous, godly life? You can't counterfeit it. See, as we talked in the last episode or in the last study, God is the only one who is intrinsically holy. I am unholy. Well, how am I going to be holy? The only chance I have to be holy is to embrace the one who is holy. And when I embrace God who is holy, my life, which is unholy, becomes holy. Not because I'm mimicking holiness, but because I've embraced the one who is holy. And now through his life within me, through his spirit, he is producing something in me that I, in and of myself, can't do. See, we call that Christianity. So Christianity then, the the clothing of a Christian is not a facade. It's not something that we mimic. It's not a fig it till you make it. It's not a WWJD. See, it's none of that kind of stuff. The reality of the Christian life, the clothing of a Christian is Jesus. And you either have him or you don't have him. But if you put on the Lord Jesus Christ and you wear him, everything changes. See, if I live in sin in the flesh, and again, we're not talking about like your physical flesh. We're talking the sinful fleshly nature that Paul Paul uses. That, that, that when I live in the flesh or when I live in sin, flesh and sin can not produce godliness. In fact, that, in fact, that's Paul's point in the passage. He says, hey, you lived this way. You lived in sin. You lived in selfishness, but you didn't learn Christ this way. That, that you, you don't learn godliness and righteousness and holiness through sin. Flesh can't produce godliness. Flesh only can produce flesh. Could, could you imagine? Here's this. Here's flesh saying, all right, I'm going to produce godliness. And so flesh in its own determined effort and struggle is producing something. Well, what comes out of flesh? More flesh. So flesh, sin, can only produce more sin. It'll never produce anything righteous and holy, which is why sin and flesh have to die on the cross. When you read through Romans 6, there's all that... uh, identification doctrines that as he was buried, I was buried. As he was raised, I was raised. As he ascended into the etern- uh, into, into the heavens, I ascended. I mean, there's this, that his work is my work. See, see, I, I, I can't mimic. This is not about me. This is not about what I can do. See, this is all about Jesus and what he wants to do in and through my life. Oh, I just, that changes everything about Christianity. See, Christianity is not coming to church on Sundays. See, Christianity is not, you know, doing good things. See, you can go to church on Sundays and do good things and die and still go to hell. Because this is not this is not about those things. Now, yes, if I'm clothed with Christ, I want to be with the body of Christ. Yes, if I'm clothed in Christ, yes, I'm going to do good things. But the focus is on Jesus and what he is accomplishing in and through your life through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, previously, I've, I've read a quote by Ian Thomas. Uh, through this book, Mystery of Godliness. I really love Ian Thomas. I love his preaching. I love his writing. And I just want to give you another quote. 
this is this is a great enunciation. It's a little long. I just want you to follow with me because I think it I think it bespeaks of this idea incredibly well about we cannot counterfeit the clothing of a Christian. This is what Ian Thomas said. Somebody once said, it is not difficult for man to live the Christian life. And Ian Thomas says, <laughs> right. It is actually a sheer impossibility. A sheer impossibility, that is, without Christ. The Christian life can only be explained in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, whether it be your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talents, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, then although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. If the way you live your life as a Christian can be explained in terms of you, what have you to offer to the man who lives next door? The way he lives his life can be explained in terms of him, and so far as he is concerned, you happen to be religious, but he is not. Christianity may be your hobby, but it is not his, and there is nothing about the way you practice it which strikes him as at all remarkable. There is nothing about you which leaves him guessing and nothing commendable of which he does not feel he himself is equally capable without the inconvenience of becoming a Christian. It is only when your quality of life baffles the neighbors that you are likely to impress them. It has got to become pa uh, patiently obvious to others that the kind of life that you are living is not only commendable, but that it is beyond all human explanation, that it is beyond the consequences of man's capacity to imitate. And however little they may understand this, clearly the consequence only of God's capacity to reproduce himself in you. In a nutshell, this means that your fellow men must become convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ of whom you speak is essentially himself the ingredient of the life you live. I know that was a long quote, but did you catch that? In other words, what Ian Thomas is saying is that the only explanation for your life as a Christian is to be Jesus. See, this is not about your wisdom and your talent and your ability. This is about him. When the onlooking world looks at your life, do they go, oh, yeah, you look just like one of us. That's, that's a concerning sign because that means you haven't put off the old and put on the new. But maybe you're saying, well, yeah, but I'm living the Christian life out of my own resource. I'm just counterfeiting. I'm just mimicking. I'm just WWJD, my Christianity. Can I just be honest with you? That's not Christianity. That's self-effort. That's filthy rag stuff. See, the reality of the Christian life is not only have you put off the old, but you have put on the new. And when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he radically changes everything to the point where his life is that which is being seen in and through you. See, this is not about your you living your life for Christ. This is about would you allow him and his overwhelming sufficiency to invade your life, and would you allow him to live his life in and through you? You are fully participating. You're still acting. You're still moving. You're, you're still making decisions, 
but yet the resource, the engine of your life is actually him, not you. See, you have put yourself aside to embrace the reality of Christ. Jesus gave an incredible illustration of this in John chapter 15. He's in the upper room with his disciples, and he gives this illustration of a vine and branch. And this is what Jesus said to them. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you look at that passage, you can ask a really simple question. What is the job description of the branch? And a lot of people say, well, it's, it's to bear fruit. No, no, no. If you read the passage, the job description of the branch is not to bear fruit, though it will. The job description of the branch is to abide. That word abide has this idea of to rest, to sink down into, has this idea of to cling. But my favorite definition of abide is to refuse to depart. Do you know what we're to do with Jesus? We are to cling, refuse to depart, rest in him. And here's the, here's the idea. The branch in and of itself can do nothing. Uh, you can look at a branch on the ground and be like, produce fruit, have life, and it can do nothing. Why? Because there's no life within it. But a branch that is abiding in the vine, that's resting and clinging to and refusing to depart from that life, well, the life of the vine flows into the branch and it will produce fruit. But what is the focus of the, of the branch? The focus of the branch is holding tight to that life of that vine because it realizes it's its sole means of life. But when the life flows into the branch, it produces fruit. Do you realize that is so true about our lives? That apart from Christ, we can do nothing. That I, I, can't, I could be a branch on the ground and I could fake. I'm a, I'm a live branch. I'm a live branch. Look at me. I'm a live branch. But the evidence is it's a dead branch. And the reality is that as a Christian, if I truly am clothed with Christ, that means I'm abiding in him, which means his life is now mine. His, the life of the vine is flowing into my life as a branch. And whoa, I am going to produce the fruit of the vine, the fruit of that life. And, and Paul tells us, do you know what kind of fruit comes out of our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit of our life because all of that is the fruit of Christ. He is the fullness of love. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. See, when I abide in him, when I rest in him, when I refuse to depart from him, I get his life and he produces that life in and through me. Again, I said this earlier or quoted this earlier, but Ian Thomas says, you can't, but he never said you could. He will. And he always said he would. 
do you realize this is not about you and not about your ability and your talent? Because we cannot mimic and fake the clothing of a Christian. This is not a counterfeit thing that you can wear. Would you put off the old and put on the clothing of a Christian, which is Christ? That being said, let me just give you a couple quick application questions. Have you truly put on the Lord Jesus Christ? We're not talking faking it, but have you actually put him on? Is his life evident in you? And that life is, again, marked by righteousness and holiness. His life is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Is that coming out of you? Not because you're gritting your teeth and trying to produce the fruit. Not because I'm trying to produce holiness and righteousness. But because it's just the natural outflow of his life within me. And lastly, what areas of your life are counterfeit? What areas are you trying to drum up so that you look spiritual? Can I just encourage you? If you have counterfeit areas of your life, would you find yourself at the foot of the cross? Would you allow there to be a definitive, once and for all, line drawn in the sand where the old things will actually pass away? Behold, all things become new. Yes, there's going to be a consistent renewal, sanctifying process in your life where you are being transformed moment by moment, day by day, year by year to be more godly and Christ-like. That's so true. But would you allow there not to be counterfeit in your life? Which, truth be told, you can't do either. You're going to have to throw yourself on Jesus and his mercy and his grace and just be, Jesus, I need you. See, what would happen if we lived like that all the time? And just as a way to close this session, I want to pray for that. Because we, in these days, we don't need counterfeit Christians. We need Christians. We need the reality of Christ and his life to be seen and demonstrated in and through our lives for all the world to see. So pray with me. Lord, simply, we need you. Lord, I don't want things from you. I want you. And the reality of this whole thing, Jesus, is not only should I be putting off the old, I desperately need you. And I, I, I want to put you on as the, as the robe of righteousness, as the garments of my salvation, and, and cling to you for everything I have because you are the sole means of life. Because apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from you, I am a dead branch. So Lord, this is not about me trying to mimic. This is not about me trying to fake. This is not me trying to grip my teeth and, and pull off a, a holy Christian life. This is about, hey, would I walk in an attitude of surrender, of abiding, of, of dependence and, and in desperation, say, God, I, I need you. Lord, what, what this world needs is not, not more people with the name Christian and title only, what we need in this generation is a, is a group of men and women who actually have you living in their lives, producing your life and your character in and through us. So Lord, we just say we desperately, desperately, desperately need you. Return in strength to the stage of time. And Lord, thank you for the possibility that we have to throw off the old, to put on you and be renewed, transformed into your likeness. Love you, Jesus.
We just give you all the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.